Mark chapter 7, we will be reading verses 14 through 23. Hear, for this is the word of the Lord. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We live in a world of superficiality. We tend to judge people based on appearances, never knowing anyone's true intentions or motives. And we are surrounded by superficial religion, and there is a competition in superficial morality. A morality that is only skin deep. A morality that can only be seen. A morality that is fueled by rebellion against God. We have people who have rejected Christ and cast Him aside, who try to prove that they are going to be okay in the end because they are outwardly righteous people. But never mind the world. We may often come to church ourselves with a mask on. We actually are doing that right now, but I'm saying a metaphorical mask, covering up our true intentions or what we are truly going through. We may come to church with a religion that is only skin deep. We try to cover up what is really going on within us with religious activity and pious words. This, of course, comes from a superficial view of sin and believing that we can just brush sin away with what we do. We believe abstinence or staying away from certain environments will do away with our sins, but yet it remains. Then on the other hand, there are those who refuse to cover up their sinfulness. We see it in the world today as people are proud sinners in public, Declaring their sinfulness. It's all over social media and the movies. They say, I'm just being me. This is who I am. This is my identity. And there is no fear of God or His judgment. Now this happens in the church as well. 
when we boast about our honesty, when we boast about being honest about our sin, we're proud of our sinfulness because we know we're forgiven. We live lives of presumption. Now when Jesus teaches, he calls on us to avoid both ditches on the sides of the road. There's always two ditches on the sides of the road that we should be on. There is the ditch of covering up sin, trying to get rid of sin or excusing sin with religious activity. Then there is the other ditch of promoting being openly proud about our honesty about sin. Jesus exposes the heart of the matter and how there needs to be a change there in the heart. He exposes first the spiritual nature of true religion. Secondly, the uselessness of outward religion. Thirdly, the source of the defilement, which would reveal to us our dire need of a change. But he begins his illustration in an odd place. He begins at the table. Food and who you eat with were important elements to the way the people of God lived up until that point. Table fellowship with one another was important. It's still important even today. And what they ate was important. Uh, The people of God were called to be holy as God is holy. And to signify this, there were ceremonial dietary laws that they were expected to keep. There were clean animals that they could eat and unclean animals that they were not allowed to consume. This was to remind the people that God is holy and they are to be set apart from all things unclean, including what they ate. So notice the transition here. Jesus was addressing the Pharisees and scribes, confronting their hypocritical and man-made traditions and how those traditions have led them to leave the commandments of God. Now he steps it up another notch and seems to contradict the ceremonial law of God as he begins to address the crowd of Jews who were following him. But this point in time marks the transition between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. This is an important point in the history of redemption as the Gospel will spread throughout the whole world to all different types of people. And the first place this is displayed is at the table. And He called to the people, to Him again, and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. This is a call for all people, including ourselves, to hear and understand. Yet he knows that many will not understand, as he tells them a parable. He says, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. So the whole point of this passage is that Jesus is trying to identify 
the source of the human problem. He does this by identifying first what is not the source of the problem. It is not merely found in our actions or what we do. And this flies in the face of what has been taught by the rabbis. They misunderstood the purpose of ritual washings and the purity laws of the Old Testament. They used regulations and traditions to cover up their sinfulness. They had only a skin-deep religion. It was only an outward religious obedience. They misunderstood why they were not to eat unclean animals. It was to signify that they were to seek purity in their own lives by seeking God and it was to point forward to the coming Messiah. Because this coming Messiah will lead them into all truth, cleanse them from their defilement, and bring them back to God. Well, what defilement? Defilement is speaking of something that has been spoiled or desecrated. And we all have been defiled at some point or another. And he is speaking of the defilement that we have before a holy God. The defilement that keeps us separated from God. We cannot enter into God's presence defiled as we are. And this defilement does not come from outside of us. It does not begin in the physical world. There is always that faulty reasoning that says that we can change the world and make it a better place by changing laws or blocking other laws. But you haven't addressed the root cause of our problems. It is not material. This is why he criticized the Pharisees and the scribes about their tradition of washing their hands before a meal, yet they leave the commandment of God. There is something extremely wrong with their religion. Well, it's hypocrisy to say say the least. But also the defilement is much deeper than what their ritual can cleanse. But how often are we without understanding? The natural disposition of man is to lack understanding of spiritual things. Many in the crowd would have lacked understanding and the the disciples also lacked understanding. Uh, That's why when he entered the house, this house was believed to be their home base at Peter's house in Capernaum, and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? We are just like the disciples. We often lack understanding of that which we cannot see. Many of us believe, as we have been taught, that most of our problems and the reason why we are the way we are, the reason we are defiled in the sight of God is because of something outside of us. We believe that the reason we are so messed up is because of our environment or or the way we were brought up 
or how we were raised. We often blame bad examples or bad parenting or bad company. Now these things probably don't help our situation. But we don't need anyone to teach us how to sin. We can do bad all by ourselves, like the movie says. Because the main reason why all of us are defiled naturally is not because of anything or anyone outside of us. It is not enough to avoid certain triggers that set us off. It is not enough to avoid certain environments. We must get to the source of the problem. Now I want to be sensitive to those who have actually been victims of someone else's sins, such as abuse. But even in the perpetrator, even in the one who sinned against you, even in the one who assaulted you, the problem remains the same. And the source of the problem, the source of the defilement, is unseen. It is spiritual. And so the solution to the problem is spiritual. He is trying to teach of the spiritual nature of true religion. But also, secondly, he gets into a little more detail when he explains the parable to his disciples. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? He is speaking about food as it enters our bodies through our mouths. He he is speaking of the Old Covenant Levitical laws regarding clean and unclean animals. And eating such food does not pass through the heart, but through the stomach and goes through a digestive process. It goes in one way and out the other without getting into too much detail. These laws were meant to be an outward expression of an inward reality. It was meant to remind them of the holiness of God. So the people of God were called to be clean and pure Inwardly, so they were to avoid eating unclean food outwardly because unclean food represented sin. It represented sin. Now, there is a long list found in Leviticus chapter 11, which you can read through on your own. I'm not going to read the entire list. There's some weird things there that uh, even though they're made clean now, we probably wouldn't eat them. Um, This was all to signify that they are to be clean and a holy people. But these laws were supposed to be outward expressions of an inward reality. And it points forward to when that reality will finally take place in the Messiah. But obeying the ceremonial law cannot change the spiritual nature of a person. Obeying any laws cannot change the spiritual nature of a person. 
Outward religion is just that. It is outward. And it is useless to change anything within us. It is something seen and it often is faked. And no food actually causes spiritual impurity or uncleanness. As Paul says, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. It is merely nutritional. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. Food does not make you a sinner. But this is how we often think. We think by abstaining from certain indifferent activities, such as eating, that it will actually change our hearts. So this leads to we have to stay away from certain types of people. We can't go here. We can't go there. Uh, We need to become monks to be truly holy. We need to abstain from certain foods to be holy on certain days. In fact, Paul classifies this way of thinking as departing from the faith, devoting ourselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons like those who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving. Now, he is not condemning a healthy lifestyle, but he is addressing the religious state of man and what is not the source of the problem of man. We normally think the source of the problem of man is just the outward actions. So we say we need to make new laws to change people. Then we notice it either doesn't work or it gets worse as we notice all around us. We think that outward religious practices will change our hearts, but it doesn't. It doesn't. See, the Pharisees and scribes believed the solution to the problem was just outwardly obeying the law. Of course, this led them to picking and choosing which ones they would obey and making up new ones along the way. But Jesus has just turned the tables on them with the authority that he alone possesses. As it says, thus he, that is Jesus, declared all foods clean. This reminds me of the the book of Acts, when Peter fell into a trance and saw a vision of the Lord and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common or unclean. Notice, that is what God That is, Jesus Christ just did. It was a turning point in the history of redemption. Table fellowship 
has now been opened up to all people of every background and opened up to all types of food. Why? Because the Messiah has come. The Messiah is the one who fulfills all of what the dietary laws pointed to. He is the clean one, the clean sacrifice whom they are to feast on. And that sacrifice will be applied to his people by his spirit and will cleanse many. His atoning death on the cross will fulfill the purpose of the ceremonial law and it will all be done away with. Now there is no distinction between foods and no distinction between people groups if you are in Christ. That's why Paul says again, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. There lies the problem. It cannot stop the indulgence Of the flesh. Not even fasting. When we fast. We are dedicating ourselves to the Lord. But fasting itself. Does not stop the indulgence of the flesh. We can still sin. As we fast. That is why even when we abstain from certain environments. We can still be caught in sin. Sin may just be lying dormant until it is awakened. So thirdly, he exposes the source of the defilement. The problem is not food. The problem is not things outside of us that come into us. The problem is not outside of us at all. So what defiles us? Well, the problem is a twisted nature and an evil heart. And he says what comes out of a person is what defiles him. Here he is not just speaking about words, but he would also include thoughts and actions as well. It is what comes out of a person that defiles him. And get this, every human being is guilty of defiling himself. We are all under this condition. So we know the defilement is within man and it comes out. But where is the source of the defilement? He says, for from within, out of the heart of man. The heart is described in scripture as the center of one's being or our essential personality, which would include our mind, emotions, and our will. The heart is the seat of our spiritual and intellectual life. 
It is with the heart that we relate to God and worship Him. So the question is, what keeps our hearts beating? Well, according to Jesus, it is from the heart that comes all defilement and sin. The problem is sin. And the source of sin is the heart, the person, the mind, emotions, and will. Our identity is wrapped up in the fact that we are all sinners. We can try to isolate ourselves from the world as much as we want, but we will always be carrying our own sin within us. We can't escape ourselves and our nature. Ask the monks over the centuries. There are memoirs and memoirs of how they could escape from the world, but they couldn't escape from themselves. The world was always with them because it was in them. No one is excluded from sin. Whether you live in the city or the country, doesn't matter. One may express itself a little bit more than the other, but it doesn't matter. Sin lies in every human heart. The world is always with us because it is within us. We carry it. The world and the way it is is just an outward expression of what we all carry with us. No one is excluded from sin. Everyone has the root of every sin. Even if for the time being, sin lies dormant within us. Maybe because we fear the consequences. Or we fear what other people may think of us. You know, pastors are put in this vulnerable position. Because we'll try to cover up our sin because we're afraid what our congregants might think. And leaders in the church as well. Deacons and elders. Or we may be covering up our sin for the sake of keeping a job position. Jesus gives us a list of sins that reflect the second table of the law. The last six of the ten commandments of God. He begins with evil thoughts. And from those evil thoughts come actions and words. Sexual immorality, theft, Murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. And now when he says foolishness, he's not speaking of someone just making a dumb decision or or someone who is playful. But someone who chooses wickedness over godliness, as we see throughout the Proverbs. All these evil things come from within. And they defile a person. When we see someone committing evil, it is just the fruit of an evil heart. As Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Then he continues by sharing the bad news as the word of the Lord comes to him. I, the Lord, search the heart. And test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. 
God will judge righteously. And he begins with the heart. Your outward actions will be exposed by your inward motives. And if your heart is wicked and evil, it will cancel out the good you have done in your life. God sees what the rest of the world cannot see. And if He was to judge us all right now, based on our hearts and what we thought up just this morning, we are in big trouble. Big trouble. But we need to understand, why is Jesus saying all of this? Well, to know the gospel is to know how wicked and evil we truly are, first and foremost. Jesus is not teaching that outward actions and obedience are unimportant. He is not teaching that law and order in society are unimportant and not necessary. Jesus is teaching us, fourthly, that we need a change of heart, not just a change of actions. It is not something outside of us, out there, that happens every once in a while, and we can shrug it off and say, hey, everybody makes mistakes. No. Sin is at the core of everything we, we do as it comes from the heart. Now at this point, he is teaching us to be aware of the source of our sin and recognize that sin is indeed a barrier to our fellowship with God as it has always been. And as long as our hearts are not changed, we are in danger of judgment from the hand of God. Sin is within us and we can't escape it by ourselves in our own strength. He is teaching us that the battle is within us and the start of every battle begins in the heart. Because just like from the heart comes all evil things, the scripture says that from the heart flows springs of life. But how? How? How do we get from all this evil to springs of life overflowing from our hearts? Well, as he's demonstrating here, the Lord must come to his people and change their hearts himself. He must come and change their desires so that now they would desire him and serve him. The word of the Lord came to the prophet Ezekiel and said to the house of Israel, I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes. And be careful to obey my rules. What a radical turn. From what Jesus has just described. But this is what Jesus came to do. This is what he came to do. He has come to grant us His Spirit and faith to believe. We need His Holy Spirit. We need the Spirit to cleanse our hearts. 
But how does he accomplish this work? How? The writer of Hebrews says, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Through his sacrifice on the cross and his rising from the dead to sit at the right hand of God the Father, Christ has granted us his spirit so that we might fight against the evils of the heart. Also, we not only need him to change our hearts, but also we need to be watchful. We also need to be watchful. Paul says, since we have these promises, beloved, the promise that we will be made temples of the living God, that is, the promise that he will grant us his spirit and fill us with his spirit, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. As Jesus lists these sins, he begins with evil thoughts. Sin finds its beginnings in our thoughts. As uh, J.C. Ryle says, thoughts are the parents of words and deeds. We need to guard our hearts, beginning with our minds and what we think. This is what our Lord is teaching us. So where do we begin? First, we need to be teachable in a childlike way, and receive his word. We need to be teachable. And that faith comes from hearing his word. So the question is, are you attending to the ordinary means of grace, word, sacrament, and prayer? Are you receiving what he has to tell you through the preaching of the word? Are you receiving his body and blood in the supper in a worthy manner, as we will discuss here in a bit. Are you responding to his word with prayer? Are you searching your heart and searching out the evil that is within and bringing it before him? He has giving, given us all of these means as at our disposal to use. Do we entrust ourselves to Christ in order that he may change the state of our hearts. And if all you see is evil in your heart, I admonish you to flee to Christ and rest on his mercy and forgiveness that he provided through the cross. Secondly, as Paul says to the Corinthians, every athlete exercises self-control In all things. I discipline my body. And keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others. I myself should be disqualified. The list of sins that Jesus gives us. Sound awfully close. To the list. That Paul gives us. As he describes. The deeds of the flesh. And those who do such things. Will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
But then he describes the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Out of all the sins listed, not all of us are, are prone to all. But some are prone to some. I quote from John Owen from his classic work, uh, The Mortification of Sin. He says this, If your constitution is prone to give way to a particular lust, then Satan and sin have a special advantage. And you must, with extraordinary watchful care and diligence, fight to overcome these attacks against your soul. Because those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. But he alone is the one who changes our hearts to make it possible to do so. It is all by the Spirit, not the flesh, that we seek to put to death the deeds of the body in light of what Christ has already done for us. He came to us. He offered himself as a sacrifice for us. And he gave us a new and redeemed heart and placed his spirit within us. What glorious good news that is. So the question is, what are we doing with this new heart? What are we doing with this life that he has given us. Amen.